I don't know how many of you read books on leadership, but I would encourage everyone who is here to make that a part of their their reading regimen, if you will, that you would read books on leadership, whether you think you're gifted to be a leader or whether you have a leadership position or not or ever hope to have one. Books on leadership are important and they certainly help us develop good, strong traits that will enable us to serve God effectively and efficiently. I've pulled a few quotes this morning from a book written by Dr. Al Mohler, The Conviction to Lead. And I just want to share those with you and some of my own thoughts to kind of frame our study this morning on this gift from the Holy Spirit of leading, administrating, and organizing that he gives to certain believers. Dr. Moeller early in his book says that true leadership starts with a purpose, not a plan. Because good leadership is not just about leading people into busy activity. It's about having a purpose. What is the uniting purpose? What is the uniting goal that we come around? In our setting, the faith community setting that is Genesis Bible Church, our purpose is to make disciples. And that takes a a lot of different avenues and has a lot of color to it. There's a lot of diversity in that, I understand. There are a lot of different things that come into play. But our overarching purpose must be to make disciples. And so to lead well in this faith community, everyone who's in a position to lead must embrace that purpose together for us to be working in one accord, as the scripture talks about, especially in the book of Acts, as it lays out how that early primitive church was relating to one another and the purpose that God had given to them. In fact, they had the same purpose that we have today. It is an ancient purpose. But that is what we need to be rallying around and coming together for, making disciples. Not just being busy for the sake of being busy, but truly having a purpose. And then once the purpose is embraced, I think Dr. Moeller is correct, a plan can be employed that allows the purpose to be carried out. He goes on in his book to say that at the center of the true leader's heart and mind, you will find convictions that drive and determine everything else. So in the pursuit of the purpose, there are some anchor points. There are some things that are non-negotiable. There are some things that your heart has been convicted about being true. Things that are essential to the gospel, things that are essential to a system of beliefs that clearly define Christianity, those convictions are non-negotiable, anchored in clear biblical truth, and they must drive and determine everything else. Why is this so critical? Well, if these types of things are fluid, think with me what will happen over time, right? that shifting sand, not having a firm foundation, if, if essential matters are negotiable, that's where heresy comes into the faith community. That's where compromise comes into the faith community. These bedrock things that are clearly enunciated in Scripture, these things that define what true Christianity is, must be embraced by good leaders. And they must also drive and determine how a leader is going to go about accomplishing the purpose of making disciples. They act as filters. 
They act as a roadmap. They act as guardrails. They help us stay on the right path toward accomplishing the purpose that God's given to us as a faith community. Truly, they must drive and determine everything else. A leader is willing to pay the price to stay there, to pay the cost, no matter what it is, to remain true to what he or she knows is true, regardless of what followers think or say or do, regardless of what a culture that looks on may say or think or do, regardless of the consequences that a culture may impose. These solid bedrock truths that become our convictions must drive and determine everything else, no matter what else happens. And so as we lead and embrace the opportunity to influence others, leadership that matters in this context grows out of the leader's own belief that the story is true, that it matters, and that it must both expand and continue. In our context, what is our story? Our story is the gospel, that it's true, that it matters, and that it must expand and continue. We accomplish that by embracing the purpose of making disciples. It's true, it matters, and it must expand and continue. All the time, every time. As we lead within this context, many of you here this morning, I would say most of you have some kind of influence in this assembly, in this faith community. You have a leadership position, whether you have a title or not. And as we consider moving forward together and really taking a deep dive on this particular gifting to the church, I want us to embrace a philosophy. Maybe you've already embraced it, that good church leaders don't merely lead their followers into being busy. They lead their followers into activities that make disciples through strengthening those that already believe and pointing unbelievers to Jesus. At the end of your journey, the volume of stuff that you did won't matter nearly as much as how the stuff you did made disciples out of believers and unbelievers alike. The church is not called to be busy about doing things. It is called to make disciples. If you have the gift of leading, use it well to advance the gospel and make disciples. This has true eternal value. God is not impressed with how busy we are. But he will be pleased if we follow the commission that he's given to the church to make disciples. Disciples. So as we talk about leadership, organizing, and administrating today in the context of being a spiritual gift, whether or not you have the gift, I think there's something here that can encourage you and help you in your journey to be the leader that God will be able to use for his maximum glory. When considering the gift and assessing whether or not you have it, I want to just deal with a, a few things here. I may have the gift of leadership if... Now, just so you know, this will not be as entertaining as the famous list, I might be a redneck if. It's not going to be that entertaining, but certainly hopefully helpful to us in assessing where we are if we possess the gift, because it's good to know that. You may have this gift if 
big picture ideas captivate your mind. In that sense, you're a high flyer. You're up in 30,000 feet looking down, right? You can see the whole big picture. And uh, while you're not down in the middle of the day-to-day and the nitty-gritty necessarily in those details, you fly high. You can see the big picture. You have big picture ideas that captivate your mind. You might even be called an idea person. You have those ideas that you can bring to the table that when properly implemented can really be powerful in moving faith communities forward. So you may have this gift of leadership if you think in big picture ideas. Along with that, though, comes the ability to break large projects into bite-sized pieces. You, you understand the big picture, and that's what enables you to begin to compartmentalize the big picture and see what are the different areas, aspects, and compartments that come together to form the whole. And you begin to understand and know what should be a part of those smaller pieces that make up the big picture, and you have the ability to administrate that, to oversee that perhaps, and to help with the execution, not in the small details, but in the larger ones, in the bigger picture as it all comes together. Obviously, if you're doing this, you are someone who can self-start. You have initiative. You don't have someone coming alongside of you saying, hey, how about this big idea? No, that doesn't happen to big the big picture thinkers. They have these things innately. They're able to do this, not in a proud way, but they are independent thinkers in this way. They're in the spiritual world. They're relying on the spirit of God and his leadership in their heart. And he seems to give them these big picture ideas. So they have the initiative. They take the initiative that is governed by the Holy Spirit, that is given to them by God's grace. And it's almost like it's natural to them to be a self-starter. They also have the ability to assess and appropriate resources toward accomplishing a goal. That's a strength to them. So they're flying high. They're seeing the big picture. At that elevation, they can see all the pieces that come together in this big idea. And they also have the ability administratively to understand, to assess, to appropriate resources, material resources, human resources, and pulling them together in an organized way, all for accomplishing the goal. Someone with this gift has an ability that looks like that. Typically, they have this ability also that's given to them by God to believe God for accomplishing daunting tasks. Daunting tasks. Maybe that makes you nervous even thinking about it. It's like, there is no way. That is not me. I could never do that. I'm, I'm not that kind of a person. This uh, past week, I had the opportunity to, to meet with someone who is doing just that. I want to share a little bit of a story because uh, we're, we're going to look at what kind of a relationship we can have with this gentleman and, and what God's using him to do in the future. But uh, I, was, I sat down at breakfast with him, and, and uh, he was telling me about this wonderful ministry that God's called him to. And it's a cool ministry, but God is using him to help people who, who are convicted criminals, who've actually served time in prison, who now, after they serve their time, have to reenter society. Maybe you know people who've been in that position, and you know how challenging it is. Maybe you've been there yourself, Right? This man who's pushing 70 years old is starting this faith community and this local church to help 
ex-cons who have to re-enter culture, who have to come back into culture after being incarcerated for a long period of time. He said, Mark, he said, uh, he had his first service, by the way, had 35 people there, 17, 18 of them had been incarcerated or now on the outside trying to re-enter. And he said, this was my BHAG. You know what a BHAG, who knows what a BHAG is? Pastor Stephen, you know what a BHAG is? I'm not going to make you recite the acronym because it's hard to remember if you haven't looked at it in a while, but who knows what a BHAG is? Anybody? Okay, so a big, hairy, audacious, God-sized goal, right? This, this thing that is just daunting, right? Here's a 70-year-old guy. By the way, his name is John Smith. It's not an alias. And uh, he says, Mark, this was my BHAG. God led me, and he told me the path that God, it was just, it'll blow your mind. We'll probably have him come tell his story. And uh, he said, God led me down this path to start this church. He says, I'm 70 years old. I don't have any business doing this at all. But God's enabling him. He has this gifting. It's so clear that the Spirit has gifted him with this leadership gift and organizing and administrating he's got this daunting task on his hand that he's just trusting that God is going to do it. Leaders have that ability by God's grace to grab a hold of something like that and maybe at times hold on for dear life, right? But they trust God and they just trust God to bring it to pass and to, to, to enable them to pursue that calling. By the way, if you're interested in what I just talked about, see me after the gathering. I'd like to talk to you about that. These individuals also can delegate. Delegating makes sense, and they practice it. So they're flying high. They're big picture idea people. They see all the pieces that need to come together, and they begin to look at, okay, this aspect comes together as part of the whole, and there are people, this person in particular, they'd be good at leading this compartment, and this person over here could lead in this area, and they, they bring all the human and, and, and physical material resources together, and they delegate to people, and they trust those people to serve well. Good leaders aren't micromanagers. They're there when you need them. They'll come alongside of you to help you, but they trust the Holy Spirit in you. They do everything they can to encourage and and, uh, bring out your creativity, not stifling you through, through micromanaging, and they just know how to trust the Holy Spirit in you, delegate to you, and trust you to do what is absolutely necessary. It doesn't mean that they don't inspect what they expect, but they trust you and they delegate. People with this gift know how to do that. Maybe you see it in yourself. And finally, another trait, really good for all of us, but good leaders in this sense are receiving criticism and they receive it. It's not seen as personal offense, but an opportunity for growth. Listen, you want to aspire to lead at Genesis Bible Church? Some of you are in leadership development. One of the best ways that you can show that you're growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus and that you're well on your way to being a good leader is this last point right here. You want to be a leader? You have to get this right. You cannot make constructive criticism a personal affront. You'll never get anywhere. No one's going to trust you and no one's going to follow you. If you're a leader without followers, you're just on a walk, okay? You got nobody and you got nothing. 
And if you are in this situation where it's a personal affront and you're not approachable, and in order to get you to respond well and make changes, someone has to win a fight or an argument with you, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Change that. Grow in that. That's a horrible way to try to be a leader. It doesn't work. So a good leader who's utilizing their giftedness well is going to understand this and practice it well. Today, as was indicated in our scripture reading, which by the way, didn't Pastor Stephen do a great job pronouncing all those names? Wasn't that great? That's why he reads scripture. So anyway, encourage him today. I'd like for him to continue so that I don't have to do that. I want to look at leadership study in the life of Joseph, and I just want to pull some practical things out of the passage that was read, but also other passages, that if you do have the gift of leading and administrating, that you'll see how it's done well in the life of Joseph. Maybe you don't have the gift, but you still have influence and you still have an opportunity to lead. These are good things for you too. The first thing that I want to point out, and this is critical, Because those who want to lead cannot lead well unless this is established strongly in their life. And that is, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that Joseph walked with God. Joseph walked with God. He had a hearty relationship with God. It was substantive. It was healthy. He had a relationship with God. And at every turn, you find him talking about it and you see it evidenced in his life. In Genesis 39... The Lord was with Joseph. What has to be true for that to be true? Joseph had to be with the Lord, right? He couldn't be out there wandering away from God. He was walking with the Lord, and the Lord was with him. This is in the the context of blessing and favor. And the way that Joseph put himself in that position, whereby God was pleased with the way he was conducting his life and evidenced that in the favor that was upon him, was because Joseph was walking with him. And Joseph considered him at every turn in his life. So the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, what happens? He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Here's a test. After some time, his master's wife looked strongly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? So here's Joseph walking with the Lord. The Lord's with him. And and as I've shared with you before and will share with you again today, that's just like putting a target on yourself, right? You want to pursue leading in this assembly and you're walking with the Lord? Get ready for the test. That is exactly where Joseph finds himself. It was a test that would have strongly appealed to him, of course, as a man. And how does he respond to that test? And how does he meet the challenge? He meets the challenge out of a firm and very healthy relationship with his God. And he tells us that at the end of this section. How could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Wow. 
walking with God. If you don't have that settled and you don't have that cemented in your life and your relationship with God is up and down and all around, you need to stop that and you need to develop a consistent relationship with God. You need to make it a priority in your life. It's a part of your everyday walk. You're considering him. You're practicing his presence. You have disciplined yourself through self-control and through developing good habits that you are going to walk with God. It's not all up to you, we understand that, but you do have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your own sanctification. You have to invest in it. You have to put the effort into it because you can wander if you want to and you won't be walking with God. Joseph had this settled. He had this as a consistent habit and he asked this question, how can I sin such a great evil against God? Good leaders are walking there with God and I hope that you'll consider your relationship with him. Now, there's a second thing here today. This man, Joseph, was one who had perseverance. And I want to talk to you about three specific areas in which he persevered. As I talk to you about perseverance, I want to share an illustration that I just will never forget, I don't think. I was sitting in a classroom preparing uh, to, to earn a degree in a biblical studies and pastoral ministry. And I think I shared with you before about this professor that we had. His name was Dr. Childs. He was an older fellow. Remember, he was the guy that jumped up on the piano bench. You remember that story? This is the same guy. And I don't know, how many of you even know what an overhead projector is? Anybody know what one of those? Oh, wow, I'm shocked. Okay, okay. Uh, I won't go any further with that list, but okay, we all know what an overhead projector is. I don't have to explain it. That's great. Well, this was one of those, uh, and he didn't like the individual transparencies, you know, those sheets that you'd have a piece of paper or something in between them in a stack and you could throw them on. He had a projector that, that had, the, had them fixed to the top and you just rolled this thing, you cranked this thing and it would pull the transparency in a big roll across the glass that was of course reflecting it up on the screen. And so he was teaching away one day, may have been on the life of Joseph, I don't know, we, I sat in his Old Testament survey class, very possibly it was about Joseph, I can't remember really. And he just all of a sudden stops teaching and cranks that thing to a blank space. And uh, he, he drew what he thought was a U-Haul truck. None of the rest of us could really make out what it was. And we didn't have the guts to tell him. And then finally, he just writes U-Haul on the side of it. And we thought, okay, he, what in the world is that all about? And he was trying to teach us a lesson about perseverance. And he said, you know what? Some of you just need to go out and buy one of these right now. Like, what in the world is he talking about? What is this? In no context, he just says it. Boom. He goes, some of you need to, and he's talking to a room full of young men who are preparing for ministry. He says, some of you, every time it gets hard, some of you, every time it gets tough, some of you, every time there's a conflict, you're going to think the only way to get through it is to quit and leave. So you might as well just save yourself some money, go buy one of these things, then that way you'll have it every time you want to move away from the trouble. I'll never forget that. And he was trying to teach us about perseverance that leaders who lead well and utilize the giftedness well are going to be leaders who stick to it, who when they're tested, when they're tried, when difficulties come, when attacks come, they don't quit. And that's what a good leader does. There are three compartments here under the fact that he persevered. The first one is that he did so through being mistreated. And the scripture, of course, uh, tells us about that in chapter 37 of Genesis. When Midianite traders passed by, 
his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. So here he is, completely betrayed and mistreated by who? His family. You ever been there? You ever been mistreated and completely betrayed by family? How did you react to that? Did you quit? Did you want to move away? Did you want to just throw in the towel and say, it's not worth it anymore? I can't endure this? Joseph doesn't do that. In fact, we're going to see as the story continues to unfold just how mighty God's grace was in his life. But he perseveres through being mistreated. Good leaders do that. That's how you exercise the giftedness well. How about this one? While being falsely accused. We, we read part of this narrative already, but here he is. He, he says no to Potiphar's wife, and now she has got her pride, I guess, hurt at this point, and she doesn't want to accept that. So to get back at him, what happens? She falsely accuses. Look there, what is it? Verse 16, she put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to make a fool out of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. We could also add falsely punished, not just falsely accused, but wrongfully punished as well. And he keeps persevering. He's not angry. He's not bitter. While he may have felt those emotions, at the end of the day, he walked with God and he embraced God's plan. And then it doesn't stop. Here's the third one. There are more than three, but we'll just point out three. Genesis 40, you remember this story. He tells a cupbearer, he says, hey, don't forget about me. Remind them up there that I'm down here, right? I'm down in the dungeon. I need to get out of here. Remind them. What happens? He said, oh, sure, Joseph, I got you. And then what happens? Nope, he did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Forgotten and overlooked. You know, there are times when that happens to us, maybe not in a prison setting, but it happens to us in life. We're forgotten, we're overlooked. Can we persevere? Do we quit? Joseph gives us a fine example here. Now, as he endures all of this, we're going to see that he had a strong focus on glorifying his God. He didn't want anything out of this. He didn't want recognition. He didn't want to receive anything at all from this. He wanted God to receive the glory. Look at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. What does he say? Was it true that, that Joseph could do that? Absolutely. He had some very personal experience with this, didn't he? In fact, it's kind of what got him in trouble to begin with with his brothers. He had this ability. But what does he say? This is not me. I'm not able to do this, Joseph answers Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Those who exercise this gift well never forget this. You know, leadership can be one of the most lonely things you do, but can also be one of the most rewarding things that you do. You get to work with people. You get to lead people. You get to see things accomplished. 
from a human perspective and, and even from a spiritual perspective, you can see successes, wins we call them. You can see all kinds of wonderful, cool, awesome things happen as people grow in the Lord. People come to you for help and you lead them toward Jesus and they put their faith in Jesus. That, that's, that's wonderful. You, you have people come to you who are believers who have struggles and challenges and problems in their life, maybe problems in their marriage, and you help them put it back together again, and you just see that as, wow, what a great thing that is. And on and on and on, that kind of a list can go for leaders who are in positions to help people. Don't ever forget, though, that it's not you. You didn't heal that marriage. You didn't get that life back on track from addiction. You didn't help that individual do whatever it was they needed to do in their next growth step. That wasn't you. That was God in and through you for his glory. And I love that Joseph, as wildly successful as the man was, nope, it's not me, Pharaoh. It's God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I am just an instrument in God's process. That's all I am. Good leaders who exercise the gift well do that. Obviously, in all of this, Joseph is trustworthy, right? He had built trust. Joseph finds favor in his master's sight. This is before all the wheels came off, so to speak. But he had this experience with managing oversight administration. And then what happens later? When he finally gets out of prison, He's even elevated further than he had ever been elevated before. And God placed him in a position of leadership after his suffering because he suffered well and he had shown himself by God's grace to be trustworthy. He was a man of integrity. He, was, he had moral integrity, but he also had personal integrity that he worked hard, worked well, and performed his duties faithfully with dependability. And through that, he showed himself to be trustworthy. And once he's out of prison, we see beyond this narrative that he is elevated and used highly again. All the while, what's he doing? He's developing discernment. And that wisdom and discernment was seen in him. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Why? He was so discerning. God had enabled him to be discerning. And good leaders develop a relationship with God and his word, and they allow God to speak to them and through them, and they show wisdom and discernment, not wisdom of this world, but wisdom that is from above, that God gives to them through his spirit, and it's seen and felt by others around them. And you see what happens in Joseph's life because he was willing to develop that discernment and trust in God. All of this is happening in Joseph's life while he is still, surely at times, thinking about, maybe even carrying to a certain extent the weight of what had happened to him. Do you think he ever forgot what his brothers did to him? I don't think so. But look how he blossomed. Look how he grew. Look how he developed into a leader 
whose equal wasn't seen anywhere. That's what Pharaoh's saying here. Joseph, we got nobody like you around here. And so because of that, here you go. How does that kind of a thing happen? How How does a leader develop in the way that God intends for you to develop, even through all of this difficulty? Well, I believe it comes from this ability that Joseph developed by God's grace to trust God's sovereign plan. And leaders, let me tell you something, you have to live here. You have to live here. How do we see this in Joseph's life? Look at chapter 45 here with me, verses 3 through 7. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. (laughs) They, They felt like they were going to get what was coming to them. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one that you sold into Egypt. But now don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Wow. These were people that at one point in time in the past didn't care if Joseph lived or died. And now Joseph is thankful for the opportunity that God gave him through the suffering to now make provision for their livelihood and to keep them alive. How do you get there? You just have to trust God's sovereign plan and rest in it and be a willing participant in it. Even when it means personal suffering. You still have to lead well through that. You still have to show to others that God has a plan and even though I'm suffering, I'm just going to trust God and I'm going to do what he's called me to do and I'm going to help lead you to do what God's called you to do through the same personal suffering. You see, What they meant for evil, God truly meant for good. And Joseph saw that. It didn't mean it was easy. It didn't mean that there wasn't uh, opposition, hardship, suffering, trial. All of those things came into play here. But because Joseph was able to, by God's grace, remember and see and believe that this was God's plan for his life, He was okay with that. He was willing to to die to self, to abandon self and embrace the sovereign plan of God. Every good leader has to get there and they will by the grace of God. This is strongly evidenced by the fact that as a leader, Joseph does not abuse his power. He could have, but he didn't have. He didn't. Look here, Genesis 45, then Joseph threw his arms around Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept, and afterward his brothers talked with him. (laughs) Pharaoh trusted Joseph, didn't he? Absolutely. Do you think if Joseph would have gone to Pharaoh and said, hey, these scoundrels right here, this is what they did to me. I want to make sure they suffer. 
You know, maybe Joseph wouldn't even had to have gone to Pharaoh to carry that out. He was so powerful. Probably wouldn't even had that conversation had he wanted to get even and seek revenge and abuse his power. But because he could have didn't mean that he should have, and he decided not to because he realized that forgiveness and reconciliation was more powerful than seeking revenge, and it wasn't his to seek anyway. As a leader, don't abuse your power just because you have the ability or the power to do something, especially in cases where you've been hurt. Be careful. You see, being mistreated, betrayed by family, falsely accused, wrongfully punished, forgotten and overlooked, all can harden a person, can't they? Maybe you have faced that struggle in your own life. You say, yep, I've been there. And today, maybe I'm not as soft or sensitive as I should be as a leader because I've been abused and I've let that harden me. Joseph, somehow by God's grace, didn't go there. It didn't harden him. He wept with his brothers who really didn't care if he was alive or dead, sold him into slavery. But he embraces them, forgives them, because he refused to allow the challenges, difficulties, and trials and hardships of this life to harden his heart, causing him to abuse his power. He avoided all of that. So let's do that too. Let's show and manifest this gift well. Why? Because a good church leader doesn't just seek to lead. They seek to lead well. So let us embrace that, especially if you have the gift. I want you to be encouraged to show it strongly and to show it well by God's grace. And maybe You've seen something today that needs mending and fixing in your realm of influence where you are presently leading. Take it to heart. Make growth steps today for God's glory and let him be glorified. Father, help us today to look clearly into your word and, and allow it to powerfully motivate us to change, to renovate us. I pray for all of our leaders who are in position of leadership in our church, that you would use these scriptures to, to mold and shape their hearts and to help them and encourage them. Father, for those who may not be in a position, maybe they have the gift today of leading, help them to do it well for your glory. Help them to do it well. And God, if you have identified a shortcoming, a sin, a wrong motivation, in our lives, give us the grace to seek reconciliation and restoration with you and then with others as need be and help us to lead well for your glory. In the strong and powerful name of Jesus, I pray, amen.